Thank you. Welcome everyone here this morning. Shall we open with 
We humble our hearts in a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for those promises in your word, those promises of your spirit and your guidance and your care for us. We ask this morning that your spirit would be in our midst, that it would lead and guide and open this word, that it would open our hearts, and that we could do things to your honor, to your glory. We ask that it would give us faith as we go forth from here, that we could walk turning to you for wisdom, for guidance, for reassurance. We ask that you would give unity in that spirit, and that you would lead us and guide us, that we could encourage and uplift each other. We ask that you would bless this community, that you would turn hearts and motivate hearts to look to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Should we continue with 278?
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For a text this morning, I'll turn to the first letter to Timothy, to the first chapter. I'll read starting at the first verse and read through the eleventh. Greeting in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I beseech thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. <clears throat> but we know that the law is good, a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Amen. <clears throat> we understand that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, <clears throat> who was the younger man. <clears throat> we know just from history that he became the first, I don't know what the word is, bishop, if that, you want to say that, for the church at Ephesus. Paul here even tells that he, he asked him to stay there. I guess we see in there the, I guess, even biblical evidence, if I say, <clears throat> we read in in a couple places, but it speaks there, I believe it's in Corinthians, where it speaks of the body of Christ and how there's, we you know, with the natural body that there's hands and there's feet and there's eyes and ears and mouth, and, and obviously <clears throat> we use the different Excuse me, my throat's got a frog in it. <clears throat> we um, use different, or there's different parts of our natural body that is used for different things. And Paul uses that to show us how it is that 
as the living church, there is unity. And yet it doesn't mean that we all are doing the same thing. There's people that have different roles. And if we didn't have different roles, things wouldn't work. If we were all doing the same thing, if if all our body could do was eat, you can't see anything, you can't hear anything. And we, and we understand that because we all have this natural flesh that we walk around with, that we eat, that we carry on life with. We work, we do whatever. And when things are working right, it, it goes okay. And we are able to even deal with a bad day, if I put it that way. We're able to go and do something that we enjoy. <clears throat> and yet, even as Paul mentioned in that place, that how it is that... And I should almost turn to it and read it, but I guess it doesn't matter. <clears throat> how the, the parts that are most visible on the natural body aren't necessarily the most necessary parts. And it's those parts that we don't see that are much more necessary. That even if we take off an arm, people can survive, or even a leg, or even a couple legs. But if you take out the heart, which, looking around, we can't see naturally. We understand it's there, We believe it's there. I guess we could say we know it's there. Because there's evidence that it is. And all those other things, lungs and whatever there is, they are there. We know that. And they are unseen, but they are necessary. And I think it is good for us as individuals, when we take that and look at it, at the church, the spiritual church, to remember that even if it is that we don't seem to be very visible in any sense, perhaps we are more necessary than we realize. Perhaps there is more of the body that is relying on us just being there Even if we don't seem like we do anything that is visible to anybody else. And I can even, this just came into my head here. And it covers a couple areas. My mind goes too many directions too fast sometimes. But I'm touching two things at once, I guess is what I'm explaining. We will talk to someone and I have to admit, I try not to do it anymore because it bothered me. It's not that I think it's wrong, but I think it just can give the wrong connotation. Somebody is having a problem, or perhaps somebody they know is having a problem. And there's perhaps nothing physically that we can do for them. We can say, well, oh, well, I, I will pray for you. If there's nothing else I can do, I can pray. And as Christians, we understand that even if there is nothing we can physically do, 
Prayer is the most important and powerful thing that we can do. And, and if we went and helped someone <clears throat> in the natural sense, but we don't take the time to pray about it, we are perhaps leaving out the big, best and most powerful tool that we have available to us. And even in our own lives, how often do we find that we are faced with something and we go headlong into it and decide that we're going to take care of it and fix it and, and deal with it and whatever. And then when that doesn't work out, we are brought to the place where we turn in prayer to God. So perhaps it is that if we are not asked to even stand in this place today or something else that is perhaps in the natural sense a more visible thing we can pray or whatever it may be and as I already mentioned that many of those things that are unseen in our natural body they are necessary absolutely necessary Maybe they are not seen. And, and we read in the Bible in a number of places where it tells us that <clears throat> even in the natural job we have, if we're doing something and there's nobody there who even sees what we're doing, we're still to do the best job possible because we're to, when we're faced with a task, especially if I say an unpleasant one, we're not to do it so that it brings glory to us. We're to do it so that we're doing the best job because that's what we're doing because God sees. And we want to do the best. And we're encouraged to do that. And so... We can perhaps pray. And how necessary it may be for someone. <clears throat> even if they don't know. And I have experienced, and maybe we've all experienced, there's been situations where all of a sudden some individual has been put on my heart to pray about. Sometimes I've even wondered about it because I don't even know perhaps what it is, and yet it seems so distinct or not heavy on my heart, but pressing on it to pray for that person or that situation or some situation. We can pray that God in his wisdom can accomplish what is best and right. We have an amazing thing when we can pray to God. That kind of went down a rabbit trail compared to what I was thinking of here with this where Paul, he says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. There we see an example right here in the Bible of Paul carried on doing something else 
And Timothy stayed in Ephesus. He was needed there. And I believe that this is one of those situations where God put it upon these men's hearts to do what it was that he would knew was best for the church, the living church. Paul carried on to Macedonia, and I don't know exactly the context of when this was written and, and whatever, but we know that Paul went on several different to say missionary trips, and then he went and visited those churches again, and, and what the context was here, I don't know. But, they each had their purpose. It has not changed till to now. God has made each of us an individual. And each of us has a different purpose that he is using us for. And just because someone else isn't doing what we would think that we should do in that situation doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong what they are doing. Maybe God has put it on their heart to do that. And maybe we should, if we are concerned about it, yes, we could perhaps go talk to them. But first and foremost, I believe we should pray about it. That God would give us direction on how to, or give us some insight into what it is that he is asking of them. Paul here, he obviously has, I say, a great love and a care for Timothy. He says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And I, I would hope that all of us, and, and it's maybe more thinking about younger people, not that it seems like walking as a Christian gets easier as you get older, but experience does have some advantages at times. And, and maybe when we are in those positions of dealing with someone who is younger, as Paul here is with Timothy, that we could take the time and care to encourage them, to share with them the benefit of what experience has taught us in different things. <clears throat> it says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from and Lord and Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a greeting, and we very often we'll greet each other with God's peace. And sometimes, yes, it can become just a habit. It's very easy for us as people to, to do that. And there's many things involved in our lives that there's a great meaning there. There's perhaps great depth there. I'm thinking about liturgy and things like this. And there's nothing wrong with them. But we're human. 
And I think it is good at times if we can stop and perhaps reflect on what it is that we are saying or what we are encouraging. We understand from the Bible that that is, if I say, the goal in one sense of why we preach the gospel to people encourage people to turn to Christ, encourage people to find importance in seeking God, is that they could have that peace of God. And we understand that it isn't something that man can manufacture or come up with. Even in the most peaceful setting, a heart can still be in turmoil. And even in the most horrible situation, God can put peace in a heart. And someone can have great peace in the midst of turmoil. And I talked, I guess talked or visited with someone recently, and their situation is not the greatest. And yet visiting with them, I can see that God has given them an amazing amount of peace where they're at. And it isn't that they have a restful or a peaceful situation in life. But in their hearts they do. And I believe that when we wish people or greet people with that, I would hope that we can remember and that it is the desire of our heart that they would be given that. That God would give peace in that heart. Paul, he doesn't just leave Timothy at Ephesus as he goes. And we could read through this whole first and second Timothy and see Paul is giving instruction to Timothy, encouragement on what it is that is important. And I believe that probably lots of it, or maybe all of it, I don't know how to look at it, comes not only from the Spirit, which no doubt it does, but it comes from experiences of Paul's life that he has seen these things. And, and Jesus, when we read that portion in, in John there, where he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit, I believe it's in the 14th chapter of John, he says, But these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. That is a great promise that Jesus has given to us. And, and it is why we would read and encourage others to read the Word of God. But I believe also that it is in the context of that of why God allows us to have different experiences in life. An experience 
can be a good teacher. And I think it is something that, I guess as younger people, to take, I guess, I don't know what word it, to use. Take heed when, when someone who has gone through life shares experience with you. Maybe they have dealt with something different and times change. And we understand that the world, the way it was 50 years ago, is different from the way the world is today. But human nature hasn't changed. Human nature is as simple as it ever was. It doesn't change. And yes, it can seem like people come up with new things, but it tells us, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes, that there isn't anything new under the sun. Perhaps the only thing that seems to, if I say get new as time goes on, is those things that were more hidden because people didn't think they were appropriate seem to be come out more in the open, and so we have to deal with them in a slightly different way. But it's the same problem. Paul tells him that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. We've been given this word of God. And Jesus came to bring that gospel message, if I say that. Came to fulfill that it could be preached to people. And we would not want anything else to be brought into what we are teaching. Whether it is what we are teaching or what those around us are teaching. We understand and we see and I'm sure we've experienced that there's all kinds of doctrines that men have come up with and and some take a lot of truth and want to add a little bit to it and some take a bunch of I say nonsense and want to try to wiggle some truth in there so that it becomes palatable to people. And I believe it is why it is good if we are founded and on the Word of God and know what God's Word says. It doesn't make you a better Christian, but it gives stability. Because I have seen where people take it and they will quote the word of God and then just twist it a little bit at the end or give it a twist at the start and and it sounds pretty good. But if we are versed in the word of God, the spirit will bring that and sometimes it might take a little time, this is just me, to to recognize what it is exactly that is wrong with what is being said. But I've experienced, and I hope all of us have experienced that, where we hear something and it kind of sounds good, but something just doesn't feel right. And I would hope that we would stop and, if I say, look into what it is that's being said and compare it to what God's Word says. Is it right? And if it isn't right, 
let's go with what is right, which is the word of God. And if what they're saying is right, and it's just making us uncomfortable because we're wanting to sidestep that, let's take the time to go with what's right. It doesn't matter how good our own ideas might seem, if it's contrary to what God's word says or doesn't line up with it, it's us that needs to move. Paul is encouraging Timothy to stick with the truth. Stick with what God says or what Christ has taught. It says, neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. We know, and my mind brings to mind Aesop's fables. And they're good ideas, and there's other ones out there, and they may be good, but then we take that word a little further and they talk about old wives' fables. Or old wives' table, table, tales, sorry. And it starts getting more and more, and some of them become just strictly superstitions. People say we aren't, or some people say they're not superstitious, and some people are. It's very easy, I think, for all of us to kind of get caught up in that stuff because it appeals to our human nature. We struggle as people to just stick with faith because faith is something that our human, this flesh, our mind, we can't touch it. We can see the results of it, and sometimes it's easier to see the results in someone else's life than in our own. Yes, sometimes we can see it in our lives, maybe looking back, oftentimes. But it's more appealing to our nature to have something substantial. And oftentimes it works on I say a balance scale. If I do this, this will be the result. And we hear lots about karma. If you do something good, you're going to get something good back. If you do something bad, you're going to get something bad back. And it appeals to our human nature. Because we want to, if I say, overlook lots of things and just think, well, if I do this good here and ignore what sinful beings we truly are, if if that's how God worked, and I'm not saying that if we do good things that it doesn't necessarily mean. God has promised in many places, in a, it's hard to put those two together, but he says that if we feed the poor, if we give to the poor, we're loaning to him and he will pay us back. And there's people and doctrines that take that to the extreme too and use it that, well, you're going to get rich. All you have to do is give here in this context and you'll get way more back. That's not what God's saying. 
But we are very easily sidetracked with things that, I say, work on a balance, that it's fair. Our minds, and if you don't think that human nature is worried about fair, just listen to little children. Fair to them is the most important. And, and fair is fair from a person's perspective, maybe if you're a little bit up on the fair scale. It's very difficult for our human nature to feel like things have worked out fairly if the other person has gotten a little bit of one-up on us. God doesn't work that way. We can read in the Word of God, and yes, there is consequences for being against God or to do what is contrary to God's will. We can read in that in the Old Testament, in many, many places, we can even just go down to those Israelites going through the wilderness. And there was consequences for turning from God or from the different kings that Israel had. And there was consequences, good and bad, for doing God's will and not doing God's will. And we would want to do God's will that we could be blessed. But most importantly, we would want to do God's will because it glorifies God. And when we are doing God's will and walking by faith, it is what God would desire. says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. We read in Corinthians there's that chapter of charity or love is often used. And we could read that and we understand that it's if I say selfless love. It's love that comes from God. And we can't accomplish it unless that love of God first dwells in a heart. And it is the Spirit of God that motivates our actions. Because we aren't that selfless as people. Even oftentimes people that want to try to appear selfless, it's trying to manipulate in a different way. And our human nature is very good at that. It is through the Spirit of God. It is through our being attentive to that Spirit of God that we are able to just care and to do and to act for the benefit and for the good of someone else. And there's that place, and I don't know if I can turn to it, where Jesus says that, basically that laying your life down for someone else is the ultimate. And yes, we understand that in the natural sense, he did that. And perhaps there are some in this world that do that even in the natural sense. But I think more importantly, on a day-to-day -day basis, is that we as people 
would walk in such a way that somebody else is good, especially the Bible tells us our brothers and sisters in faith, that their good, what is best for them, would be most important to us above our own. And it's a question that I have sometimes because we are encouraged to do that in the Word of God, and I think it is good and right. And the world around us is so much me first idea that you take care of yourself and then and then if there's something left over you can help someone else and and, and if you haven't taken care of yourself you can't really take care of someone else and in some ways there's some truth to that but I think we can even go to that place where it tells about and, and Jesus lays out in the thing there, and the end of it, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And if we are seeking the kingdom of God, and if the motivation for what we are doing comes from the Spirit of God, yes, we can be given and care for others selflessly. And God can take care of us. I think because we're so human, it's difficult or maybe impossible for us to be selfless. But God can care for us. It says, out of a pure heart, I think there's a place here I tried to remember where it was. It's in Titus. Um, It says, Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Here he says, um, Out of a pure heart and of a good conscience... It's hard for us, and for me perhaps, to understand because this human nature is something that we carry around with us day to day and always, and it doesn't feel that pure. And we know that it isn't that pure. But Christ is pure and holy and righteous and perfect. And that Spirit of God, and it will dwell in our hearts. And I believe that this is telling us that our actions should come from the Spirit of God. Because that is what makes us pure and holy. It isn't us doing good that make us pure and holy. It's because we are pure and holy because Christ dwells there and that Spirit of God dwells there that the actions become good. And it is that we need to be reminded of that because it is God works very often completely contrary to how man does. Our thoughts and our reasoning are 
completely on the opposite scale of how God works. It tells us in a number of places that his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and his ways so much higher than our ways. It says, and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. That unfeigned, it's a word that we don't use as much. We could say unfaked. That it's real. Our faith comes from God. We can't produce faith. And I think sometimes people claim faith and then, and then their actions show that they really don't believe what they're saying or what they're trying to claim. And it all, I say, goes to having the Spirit of God dwelling and leading and being attentive to that. And the actions that we do come from that and are the result of that. And we believe what God says. It isn't just something that we give lip service to. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but there's been times in life where it's like, and I don't even know what example to use, but perhaps I will take the word patience. And we would desire to have patience. And we can think at times that we have patience with something. But if we never have a situation that's very difficult to deal with, and that perhaps we're struggling to deal with, and it drags on, we don't really know if we have patience. And and there's many different things that are that way. And we know that the Bible tells us that God tempers his children. And we know that we come to steal. The way that it's tempered, it's taken and heated until it's glowing red and then it's put in cold water or oil or something like that. And it tempers it, it hardens it in a certain way so that it, it is more useful in situations. It can be made sharper. And it lasts longer. But the process of getting there is drastic, if we think of it. It's taking it to hotter than it would want to be, and then making it colder than it would want to be. And it has to be done careful, or it can become brittle and break. Or even in the process, it can crack. God knows, though, how to do that. If we decide that we're going to do it, we'll probably mess up and become something that's useless, that's breakable. But when God does it, and it's not necessarily a very enjoyable process, and it makes me think, and this is slightly different terms, but it's speaking about the same thing. In John there, it tells about 
the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. And every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And anybody who's seen grape vines when they're, if you say in the spring, when they're pruned back to where they start growing so they'll produce grapes, they don't look like very much. It looks like a stick. They, they're very, in my view, harsh seeming when they prune them. And I read that portion there, and I have to admit, my natural flesh cringes. Because, I don't know how to word this so that it comes out right, but it's like I cringe to bear some fruit that wondering how harsh God's going to prune so more would come. But we have to trust Him that that is what's best because the Word of God tells us that. And whether we talk about it as pruning or whether we talk about it as tempering, it's basically the same thing. It's God working in our lives, in our hearts, in our being, to make us that we're useful, that He would be glorified, and that His work would be accomplished, and what He wants of us would happen. That we could walk by faith, It says, from which some, having swerved, have turned unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And that's an interesting thing I find here, how it is that he talks about, encourages Timothy of what it is that he should be teaching people of charity, faith, and, and um, pure heart. And then he tells them of what happens when someone turns from those things. And I think we, perhaps many of us have seen those things. If somebody is wanting to, or doesn't walk by faith, is wanting to have something of a little more substance to go through life than just faith. It says here, they turn to vain janglings and desire to be teachers of the law. Our human nature likes rules. It gives us something that we can check off the boxes, so to speak, and we can rate ourselves. Well, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. It gives us something to grab a hold of. But the problem is, to desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. As Christians, I hope we understand that when it comes to Christianity, the law doesn't make you a Christian. The Bible tells us right here, it says, the law is good if a man use it lawfully, but it is not made for the righteous man. 
What makes us righteous? Christ. The Spirit of God dwelling in the heart makes us righteous, not our ability to follow the rules and the letter of the law. That doesn't make us a Christian. It might make us a good person. It might give us a good life, but it is not going to save us. And that is the most, <coughs> excuse me, the most important thing of what we are wanting in life and what we are wanting others to strive for in life. It says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient and for the ungodly and for sinners. Yes, people who do not turn to Christ, put their faith in Christ. The law is there to show them what they are. We can read in that law and our human nature we can see that it fails right away. The Bible tells us that this human flesh, it's not righteous, and it's never going to be righteous. It's sinful. And it's not going to make it to heaven. And yes, the law condemns it. And I believe that it is part of that when it says that we die daily. Our flesh is condemned daily. But we don't walk in, in our flesh's ability to be good. We walk in the ability of the Spirit to overcome this flesh. To crucify, if I say, the desires of this flesh. And they're very evident constantly in our beings. And he goes through a number of things here. For unholy, profane, murders of fathers, murders of mothers, manslayers, whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for manstealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. There's many things that are contrary to sound doctrine. If I put it very simply, the sound doctrine is the fact that by faith we can believe that Christ covered those things in us. If we are honest with ourselves, I think we can look and see that all those things we can find in our flesh, the desires to do them, the willingness to live in that. But the Spirit of God can overcome that. And that is what we walk by. By faith. And as it said there, of a good conscience. And that is what we would want everyone to have. And that is why Jesus, I believe, at the end of all the Gospels, points to that, what we'd call the Gospel message. That people, we would encourage people and provoke people, I'll use that word, to seek Christ. To seek where that peace of a good conscience can be found. What to do with sin. Because it's going to be with us till the day we die. It's part of our flesh. 
We have sinful flesh. And yet, in spite of that, we want, because of what Christ has done, we can be free of that. We can have a good peace of a good conscience. We can have that peace of God. And we can believe that and trust that. And let us encourage others to trust that. It's, and maybe <clears throat> some people struggle with it more than others, but I think we all have that tendency to look at things in our life and think, well, if I was a good enough Christian, that wouldn't happen. I wouldn't have that temptation. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have that temptation. We would just do it if we didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. But the devil knows where our weaknesses are. And I can remember being said older ministers saying that he comes where the fence is the lowest. And I don't understand quite how it is that God works. Or how how it is that some person can struggle here and some person can struggle there and this person doesn't have this struggle at all. And just because someone has a different struggle than us doesn't mean that they're any poorer of a Christian than we are. They probably don't have struggles that we have. Let us encourage one another. Instead of getting on someone's case because they struggle with something. Let us encourage them. It says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. It was committed to Paul, that gospel message. It's committed to each of us as Christians. And we are to share according to it because it is glorious. It is something that it tells us there. The law is good. And it is. It came from God. It isn't the problem with the law. The problem is human nature can't fulfill the law. God knew that. And the angel said when Jesus came, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That is what Christ brought. That is what he accomplished for us. Is that we could have peace with God. That the sin that would want to drive a wedge between man and God, Jesus took care of. And we can encourage people to believe that. Believe those things forgiven because of what Christ has done. And walk by faith. Trusting that that is true. That what Jesus did was real and it is enough. It is enough for you, it is enough for me, and it is enough for anybody that we are given the opportunity to share that message with. Let us believe that. Let us trust in that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we close with 223. Uh, one other thing that I've been very negligent to, to I don't know, it just slips in my mind, but great NASA, there be anybody who would be willing to take over being treasurer. And Anybody feels like they could, please.